You and me, Mike. It's just down, it's down to the two of us holding down the fort. That's it. It's just me. All right. It's just me and you now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Mm. My body is ready. All That's right. right. Um, okay. Friday. It's another Friday evening. Um, and uh, you know what's funny is like usually we had in the past, like we just had like all these burning Asian American topics to like hit or whatever. And I feel like, and I was talking to Chris about this, like ever since. Uh, Everything, everywhere, all at once won the Oscars. He's kind of like, yeah, it's over. Like, we're, we're done. Every, it, it, we reached the mountaintop. There's nothing right. to talk yeah. about anymore. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, which is funny because I was telling him, like, you know, it's, it. I don't know. I guess there were a lot of things that I, I haven't really been thinking about, like, Asian American stuff, uh, like, at all. Um, just more like politics and tech stuff and then so i was like huh it sounds like we got two topics teed up for today one is the uh de which i think is uh and, and the second being ai but the de-dollarization thing is interesting like um i found myself nodding in t- this is this was scary to me for two days in a row i've been i've watched a tucker carlson monologue you know, from Fox News. And for two days in a row, I've been nodding in agreement. Like, yeah, ev- absolutely. Everything he's saying. <laughs> the first was, yeah, the first was NPR being tagged as state-affiliated media on Twitter. I was like, yeah, they should be. And then the second was de-dollarization. And this this notion that the U.S. dollar enjoys, it's it's the global reserve currency. So basically, in short, without going into like too much detail, and I'm not even really sure of the details. Like the fundamental store of value, of economic value in the world, appears to be the U.S. dollar. Right? That's what all the countries in the world stash away as if it were gold. And you know, like pre World War World War II and pre World War II, that's literally what was done. Like countries banked their 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 national reserves in like physical gold in some vault somewhere. And yeah. now it's digits in, in a Federal Reserve computer that tell you how many you know U.S. dollars or U.S. Treasuries you own, and that is has basically replaced gold as the fundamental global unit of value. And the the question is, as the world starts inking deals where they're like, yeah, we're not going to use the dollar for international trade anymore. Or not all of it anyway, and we're going to buy oil from Saudi Arabia, etc. And we're going to do bilateral trade in our own currencies. Um, is that something for regular Americans like you and me to worry about? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big difference. You know, I've I've been listening, uh, or not listening, but reading a lot of this back and forth on Twitter and in the press. Um, and I think most people kind of just gloss over the fact that, you know, there's a difference between being the reserve currency and having a total monopoly on international trade. And, you know, those things aren't the same, right? So like the U.S. dollar, you know, it can, it can still remain the reserve currency for decades without maintaining like a 90% or plus, uh, you know, monopoly on on international trade between 
second and third parties that have nothing to do with the U.S. You're, so, you're, you're suggesting that we can go in for a soft landing. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. But what if it's a uh, is? But that's what they said about inflation, you know, which is also a currency linked, um, you know, a currency linked phenomenon. Is it possible that we have a hard landing when Saudi Arabia? I'm not. I have no idea. I literally have no idea. Right. I don't. I'm not sure anyone really knows. Right. Yeah. Because it never happened before. Well, it's it's also just. I mean, it, it's it's on a global scale. So, I mean, the world is a pretty big place, right? I mean, I I think the. Uh, I think the question you have to ask is when will anyone will it ever get to the point where people don't accept dollars? And I I don't think so. Like that that's not going to happen, right? Like, yeah, sure, you could say, look, um, if you're trading with China and you've sold a bunch of grain or whatever other commodities to China and you have a bunch of RMB in your reserves, well, then you know certainly you can use that to, to buy Chinese goods in RMB, but you could also just use dollars. Right. And you know, there, there's, uh, there's no reason why you can't use both. Um, cause certainly, you know, I, I don't think it's gotten to the point where, um, like people will accept RMB, but not accept dollars, you know, like uh, that, that seems like yeah. a really long time off. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the ramifications are more political now than they are, economic like in the sense that because there was a clip of like marco rubio um you know foaming at the mouth about <laughs> about the pro right. this problem and he said like you know if if, if the world de-dollarizes you know he didn't say like oh everyone's in the poorhouse you know he's not he didn't say like the standard of living of americans is going to drop he said we won't be able to sanction countries anymore like right meaning you know and i think this has happened with like russia where it was like we kicked them off the out of swift so their banks can no longer settle uh, international transactions via SWIFT, which I think is, you know, a, a sort of dollar dominant, um, <clears throat> the dominant U.S. dollar settlement network. Yeah. Uh, that's not exactly it, but it's roughly speaking, that's what it is, right? Um, and they, they did it. We weren't able to, like, crash their economy, which was the goal. And I, and I wonder if that's kind of like what Rubio is like referring to, basically, if we don't have a total monopoly on international, you know, in, in, interbank and international currency settlements, then we're going to lose this political tool. But like you said, it doesn't mean that the dollar goes to zero or anything like that or, or necessarily yeah. even loses value, right? It's not necessary that it loses value. No, I mean, it could even go up in value. Um, just because if less people are transacting in dollars, then ostensibly it would become more scarce, right? So it could go up in value. And I mean, if the dollar goes up or, or, or the inverse is possible, if the dollar goes up so much because of some banking crisis or whatever, and dollars become too expensive, then people might switch to RMB or some, you know, some other, um, commodity like gold or something just to conduct international trade. Because if, the dollar keeps on appreciating against your local currency, you know, in order to do that FX swap in order to transact with whatever, you know, which, whatever counterparty you're transacting with, it, it could be just become more expensive. So I, I think at this stage in time, like any talk of non-dollar international trade is, is going to be more of a, a pilot program slash insurance policy, especially for countries who, you know, don't want to, 
be on the receiving side of U.S. sanctions potentially. So there's a bunch of countries in South America that obviously would be looking at this, I would imagine, like Venezuela. Um, I mean, Brazil and China are supposed to come to some kind of deal next week when uh, when the new president of Brazil is going to China um, to meet with Xi Jinping. So, I mean, it's it's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't I don't think this is going to necessarily have any kind of impact for U.S. citizens. Like our, the dollar is just going to, you know, it's it's not going to tank. Might even get stronger. So it's, you know, but, it's. But bottom line, like drastic how you, changes are coming. But bottom line, how do you trade this? Like what? What? Uh, <laughs> like what are? What are? What are the moves here? Like because I, I feel like it might be a good time to 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 diversify at least a little bit in terms of what currency people are holding. Um, I don't. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I'm just. I'm just putting it out there that. I kind of feel like I want to have some exposure to foreign currency. I know I bought some RMB uh, trackers, ETF trackers, uh-huh. um, and you know I, I don't I haven't even checked how they're doing. I don't think I've I, I think of it more as a like a long term hold and just allocate like a little bit to some foreign currency exposures. I don't know if ETFs are a good instrument for that or not. Uh, that's pretty liquid. Well, the RMB is pegged to the dollar right now. So as long as that peg holds, um, it floats a little bit. It floats within some range, but yeah, yeah it's it, like it's, I don't know, it's like, not a, gonna be, like a, there's not going to be major major moves. Yeah, it's it, it's like fifty basis points of float or something like that. Yeah, because they have to conduct operations to actually peg it right. Like they're constantly buying and selling on the on the FX markets. I mean, I presume I'm not I'm no expert in this, but. But from what I've seen, it goes up and down. I mean, but the question is, will they ever depeg it? And if so, like, what kind of timeline is that? Is it five to ten years or ten to twenty years? You know, if they if they decide to depeg it, and I mean, it, I think it's an open question whether or not the RMB will go up or down if that happens, right? Like, it's if, if everyone gets these are really sell. tricky questions. They're not. It's not obvious, right? Yeah, it's totally not obvious. Like, if if you could just buy and sell RMB freely, like euros. Um. Yeah. Like what? Like what would people do? Would they dump it? Either it would go up. I yeah. I would bet that it would go up. I don't know. But but it's two. It's a two party problem, right? Because it's like, what will the U.S. do? Right. Because like both 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 countries have monetary policies that are going to affect it, right? So and then you have the then you have a market in between them, right? So it just seems super complicated. But I don't know. Maybe you don't do anything. Maybe it just doesn't matter to people, and you just don't. You just don't really care. I don't know. Yeah, and you have you also have to think like between now and then, more trade is going to be conducted in RMB, and less relative trade will be conducted in dollars. But at the same time, like you know, it just depends on like how liquid everything is in the global currency markets. Like if, yeah, I mean, who knows? This, I mean, I don't think anyone knows. Even FX traders are, <laughs> you know are probably at a loss to explain what happens if that were to happen. Yeah. All right. Um, any any juice left in this in this currency topic, or should we move on to AI, which I think is... No, yeah, I, I think it's just worth noting that this conversation is happening, and, like, it's, you know... Th- I mean, this stuff is takes decades to play out, and people have been talking about this shit for 20, 30 years already. So it's, you know, it's just a slow-moving train, and, like, these sort of, like international deals happen every once in a while. So it's just kind of interesting to pay attention to, I think. 
that that though i do think that it's it's going to be faster than that i think i think i i think in five years we're gonna be in a very different place than we are now and five years ago five years before today i think the same was is true like we're in a very different place now than we were five years ago yeah that's and 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 the next five years i suspect are going to be a period of accelerated change even over this last five so i don't know i feel a little bit of urgency here i don't know about like whether there's anything you can do or or do about that today but i don't know man i (laughs) it depends on my mood you know it just depends on my mood but sometimes i feel like we're in for like a very turbulent near future and then other times i feel like i wonder if this is all just overblown you know, and hard to say. I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of it will have to do with how this Russia-Ukraine situation pans out and also what Europe does. Like, France is already kind of trying to straddle both sides a little bit. I mean, they got their own massive domestic problems as well. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, things are kind of a mess right now internationally. (laughs) Yeah, though, you know what was funny? Like, our last pod, we were talking about how I was of the opinion that we're we're reaching peak xenophobia. Right. And that these, you know, US trade and industry uh is going to reassert itself um and and sort of try and douse, you know, put a wet blanket over this stuff. And it's I, I found that it uh, at least a few signs that that's actually happening. Uh, there was like a major like industry letter that was signed by a lot of corporate executives saying everyone needs to chill the fuck out. Right. And then Eric Schmidt came out with like a video where he was like, China is not an enemy. It is, you know, it's a competitor of sorts. It's a highly capable competitor, but you guys got to stop using this enemy language. It's not helping. It's not helping. And (laughs) you know, it's funny. Eric Schmidt was the, uh, he was the biggest, like he was really ringing the alarm bells over like technology in China and like how they're using AI to like, uh, you know, like advance their military with dual use stuff. And like, we have to watch out for them. And they're like, I mean, he was really ringing the alarm bells. So it's kind of funny that he's hitting the brakes a little bit. And I guess that would be a good segue into, into our AI discussion as well but yeah it is but I think he you know I think he was I think he was shaking the money tree and I think a lot of them were shaking the money tree to say if we can get Congress or the government to worry about China as this competitor to US industry and therefore they're going to give us subsidies then we're going to go shake that money tree and be like China's bad China's bad but then suddenly they're like, okay, we're going to shut down trade with China. We're going to shut down immigration channels. We're going to war. And then they're like, yo, dude, all right. Oh, okay. Calm down, guys. Yeah, we just wanted money. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring it back down to DEF CON 3, which is where we're most comfortable. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, so. a lot of people don't realize big tech is also very much part of the military industrial complex. Like it's Especially, yeah, Google is a huge one, right? Google, Oracle, Microsoft. I mean, they make huge amounts of money on MIC stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I'm not saying that, you know, corporate interests are going to come in and we're going to kumbaya with China because of them. I'm just saying that I was just saying that I, I think that the, the the craziest McCarthy shit, the thousand year war shit is going to get uh, doused. Like we're 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 not going to just keep going down this 
crusading, you know, crazy man, crazy shit. And yeah, the the existential like, rhetoric is a bit far fetched. I think yeah, most people think see that. Are, yeah, yeah. All right, but but with the okay, so with the AI, um, the you posted of it was it you who posted the video about the with the with the um, Flappy Bird coding. Yeah, uh, wasn't wasn't me, but okay. I, well, I someone posted that. this video, and it it was, you know, I've seen a lot of ChatGPT stuff, and this video was very eye opening to me because, well, basically, it was this guy who used it's some sort of like uh, game development platform. I don't know what language it's called, but it's uh, some sort of games development pro, uh, plat- platform, like a developer environment or something like that and he wanted to build flappy bird which is sort of like this angry bird style game mobile game and he said he's not going to write it like a line of code he's going to tell chat gpt to write it you know sort of function by function class by class or whatever and so he would just prompt it and just be like okay let's have a he 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 told ChatGPT sort of roughly what he was looking for. Could ChatGPT write out a spec for the code? Like what what are the steps that would need to be done in order to develop this game? And it did. It came out with a six part plan and said, you know, step one would be, you know, I don't know the steps. And he said, okay, let's go to step one. And he was like, you know, we need to create a function that does this. We need to have, you know, develop, we need to program in sort of like the physics of the bird. We've got to develop the, you know, side scrolling and how that works. And then ChatGPT would be like, okay. And then it would just spit out code. And then he would copy and paste that code, put it into his developer environment, run it. And you could see the game starting to take shape. And it it actually worked. And then not only that, but there were times when, the code that it spit out was did not work, not not necessarily buggy, but it didn't work as, you know how like when you you know if you write a program, it's not necessarily buggy. It just wasn't designed correctly, and so something weird happens. And he would tell it he he wouldn't fix it. He would say, "Oh, uh, here's the problem: is that you're not controlling for the bird's like spinning motion, and so the bird is spinning around, and so." Can you rewrite this code where the where you know you're controlling for, you know the yaw of the bird that it doesn't go beyond this and that degrees and and then it says okay and it spits out the revised code and he puts it back into the environment and it worked. I just thought you know what I thought of man I thought of like Jarvis from Iron Man you know how like Tony Stark has that like super AI computer thing where he can he, it helps him do like some design for his latest Iron Man suit or something. It kind of felt yeah. like that, man. It kind of felt like a little programming assistant that it kind of blew my mind. But, but you know much more about this than I do. But watching it, it was it was pretty fucking crazy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say that programming and uh, programming, at, you know, I would say that programming assistant is probably the correct way to look at this at this point in time. Um, we were talking about this earlier and I mentioned you know, it, it still takes a senior level developer to like know what to ask it for and fix the problems that arise in the code that it develops or produces. Um, but 
you know, uh, if if you're running this sort of code that gets generated by AI in a limited environment or like a development platform or just some, I don't know, local virtual machine that you're running, like, you know, it's, it's going to be really fast and you can iterate on it really quickly to get something that's at least passable for a YouTube video. Right. And, you know, a lot of, I don't, I'm not saying that this guy was doing this, but there's also probably a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that isn't included in the video um, just for dramatic effect, so to speak. Um, but to actually get an app onto the internet, um, like with actual users and produce something compelling and novel that some people want to use, like that's, that goes way beyond coding, right? That's like having a good idea, uh, systems engineering, like site, you know, site reliability engineering and like just a general understanding of how the internet and cloud technologies work. So it's, it's definitely uh, going to be able to produce code assistant or like co-pilot style um, output, but knowing what to do with that and, you know, being able to use that in some sort of production application is, I mean, there's just a lot more to it than just producing code that works. Cause you know, like these, like one of the, uh, one of the complaints that new programmers have is, okay, well, you know, I'm looking at these tutorials and I'm running these tutorial or, uh, you know, uh, running these tutorials and like writing this example code and doing that, but there's just a huge gap between that level of programming and like producing an actual working functional website that people actually want to use for some reason. And I might be stating the obvious, but that's only because, you know, this stuff is, it's evolving really quickly, but it's still pretty basic in what it's able to do. In but my I, I gather it's going to get much better. Um, and it, it's, it already just seems really cool. Like, like just at the surface level that this guy was able to do this without like basically giving just a description of what he wanted. And it was able through a bit of handholding but no direct coding is the thing that was really interesting. Like, he would basically look at the code and say, look, the bird's spinning. I think what you need to do is make sure, you know, and it would just do it. And if that process gets better, two things. I'm, I'm wondering two things. One is, like, a future where we could tell the computer, like, what we need. And it will just, like, custom build an application for us, like, on demand. Not something to, like, deploy, you know in an app store and for us to sell, but just for something for me to use in this particular moment, you know, like sort of on-demand app. And then when it's done, I, I, it can just be thrown away. But the other, and I think I've heard this somewhere, is like, is this a step towards an AI that, and maybe this is just like a full of philosophical question at this point, or maybe it's not, I don't know. But I don't know if you've ever heard this question before, but a program that is able to, improve itself and so if you had like a chat if you had a like could a program be self-improving where it was issuing command like directives to itself to improve its own import performance and then it would be able to generate the code and then it could reintegrate that code back into itself and is that like a runaway process or not i don't know who knows um <clears throat> yeah i mean i th i think that's definitely going to be possible within a few, I mean, a few years, probably. 
Um, but I mean, it still has to have, I mean, all this stuff works on like loss functions and optimizations, right? So you have, you still have to be able to give it some kind of goal that it can judge itself by on its performance and its, um, and its responsiveness to that, uh, to that goal. So, I mean, it, you know, I guess it is kind of philosophical, but, uh, in the short run, I mean, I, I would imagine that n one of the better, one of the more likely outcomes is like somebody's going to hook this thing up to like visual basic or like Apple script or something. And you can like make, you know, better Excel macros or like automate your own job by, by having this thing, you know, generate Apple script so that it like knows how to click through your daily workflow or whatever. I think, I think that's a much more realistic short-term goal for this stuff. Um, which is basically just an extent, I mean, programmers and developers and people just who know how to program as, as just a tool, uh, toolkit have been doing this forever. Right. Like if you can like one of a developers or, or at least a systems administrator or a DevOps person's job is one of their main job functions is to like automate their own work. So I, I think in, um, in that context, I think that's where it's going to show up first. Um, but I think just writing like an entire new web app or whatever from scratch is that is still going to require a ton of like expert level human uh, involvement. I don't think that's going to come very quickly. Yeah, but I mean, it, it should be a boon to like programmers, right? Like, wouldn't won't this just sort of like get rid of a lot of the the uh, the drudgery, like writing this like really a lot of these like code these routines and and stuff like yeah like like github copilot that stuff github copilot already does a lot of this like if you you know if you're like slogging through just busy work coding and you need it to like tell you how to you know instead of digging through the api documentation and like sitting staring at some bullshit for an hour you can just tell it to generate you boilerplate code or like common functions um and it just does it instantly. So we're already there in terms of like how this can help your average mid to senior level programmer work faster. Um, that's definitely that's definitely here already. I mean, you're 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 rolling AI into your your professional port like you know your professional portfolio of of work, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm learning it as fast as I can because I mean, I I just have to. <laughs> like, right. I can't just like not do it, you know? Right. And what like, I don't know. You know, it's 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 just become a buzzword where every everything is now AI, and you know, AI enabled this or AI driven, you know, yeah. engine this. But like, you know, what what are people? I don't know. What what are people? What what are the where are the like? What's the demand for this stuff? Like, what's okay, the so uh, I'll give you an example of how we're using it. Like, okay, so I'm, um, I'm starting a new consulting company, and it's it's the same thing we've always done, which is just like data and you know backend stuff. But also AI is the hot thing right now, so we also have to claim that we do that, which we do. I mean, we we do. We have people on on board that know what what they're doing. But so, for example, instead of uh, so we're writing a, a React application for our website and our developer is just basically, t so we have some designers, they designed a Figma layout for the site, a Figma design. 
And what he's doing is he's taking the Figma design and then telling it to write a React application that incorporates the design into the site. And like he's having it write all of the components of the site, all of the call to action, uh, you know, like functions and also having it do like generate a lot of the CSS that it's going to use. So, you know, he's, he's basically done in a week or two, what it probably would have taken him a month or two to do before this stuff, because he would have just had to like type it all out by hand or just like copy paste some existing shit. Wow. Um, so he's leveraging, like, it's just, it's just like a uh, fucking exoskeleton or some shit. Like it just speeds up. Yeah. So it, it strengthens his already pretty good capabilities as a, as a programmer or a developer to just make shit go way faster. And of course, all this stuff is reusable, right? So he's like saving all the prompts that he's using. And, you know, we could probably leverage this again in the future when we want to like add other stuff to, to the site. And also, uh, as part of our launch, we're going to have... <clears throat> We're going to have some blog posts and we're going to have some AI like demos where we just glue together different APIs and just like show people what like really basic stuff is possible with, with the new services that are out there. And one of the things that we're doing is, okay, so for this demo, we're going to have a human written blog post that steps through the demo and like tells you how to do, or tells you what, what this does and how it does it. And then we're also going to have uh, one of the OpenAI large language models write a blog post about this, and we're just going to post them side by side. So, you know, we're but we're so, trying to yeah. Go ahead. Do you think this is raising or or lowering the barriers to entry for this type of business? Like, is it making it easier for people with less technical skill at that like like the low level technical skill? You know, like the really I'm, I'm the the talking to the machine stuff is is it is it making it easier for the, like n not super technical people to break in or is the field actually getting more technical and you know being able to do being able to use ai is actually like requires like new ex like actual ai expertise uh i think you know a I mean? little, like, yeah i, I it's hard to say right? i think it's a little bit of both right like because one thing that this does is it supercharges an actual true senior developer's output. And if you know, like if you've spent the last 20 years programming computers, this just makes you fucking untouchable, right? Like, yeah, a new person can come in and maybe produce some senior level code, but they're not really going to know how it works. And they're also not really going to know how any of the lower level stuff works. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it also widens the gap of what's possible when you compare, you know, like it, it, it may give the newbie programmer a 50% boost, but it'll give the experienced senior level developer like a 500% boost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, not so everyone's going to be able to leverage AI to the same degree, right? That, that's kind of how I think of it is like, the future is gonna, where everyone has like AI tools, 
access to tools, like some people are going to know how to use those tools better than others, which is true of like all that's true. Yeah, it's true. Sort of, of creative technologies, right? Yeah, is some people just are are just really they know how to they just know how to use it much more efficiently and in a sophisticated way, and they're going to be like really good at using the prompt or and just knowing like what the capabilities are and what the limitations are. I don't know. I'm just yeah, and uh, and also you have you have to realize like most developers are not using Chat GPT per se, right? They're using uh, the actual APIs that OpenAI exposes and using that effectively. It's like you can't you you can't do anything substantial just by typing shit into a web page and hitting submit to Chat GPT. Like you can do one off stuff. But in order to do the real, like, um, stuff that moves the needle, you have to be able to write really, really. Uh, uh, what's the word I would use? I mean, you have to you have to know how to use the the, the entire ecosystem of of AI tools as far as programming goes. Like there are entire like there's entire prompt engineering frameworks that you have to know how to. You have to be pretty, you know, at least mid-level to to really use. So there's like prompt management. There's like prompt memory management. There's um, all sorts of services other than OpenAI that, you know, allow you to do things with data that you have to sort of know what's going on in order to use them correctly. Um, So like chat, because remember ChatGPT is the product, right? And the product is a front end to the actual backend stuff that's doing the heavy lifting. And in order to use the backend stuff, you have to be pretty well-versed in um, just how the internet and all that stuff, like, you know, how actual web applications and like large-scale backend systems work. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with that Sam Altman guy, the CEO of uh, OpenAI. Yeah. And he was saying like, basically, ChatGPT is... He's like that. The reason ChatGPT was such a phenomenon is because it was the first time that there was a there was a interface to AI that basically anyone could use, and so right, it kind of blew up because he was like, "This is the first AI tool that just any person on the any person with a keyboard is going to be able to use it." But that. That doesn't mean that it's the first AI tool. He was saying that before ChatGPT, there were loads of AI uh, tools that the interface was kind of highly technical, not exactly user-friendly. And that's probably still true, meaning like probably the bulk... You tell me... Like, I'm just uh, guessing here, but it it seems like there's probably a lot more the AI toolbox that your average person actually doesn't know how to use. No. Yeah. That chat GPT is just sort of like the, it's sort of like the, um, the GUI of AI where anyone can kind of come in and use a Mac or, you know, whatever they used to say about it, but yeah, real power user stuff. All of the public cloud providers, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and now OpenAI, they all have backend tool suites that are highly technical, right? Like they're just API calls. And not only are they just API calls, but 
you know, you have to know how to like integrate this into whatever paradigm of application you're, you're deploying and whatever paradigm of like, so are, are you public cloud? Do you count or? something like TensorFlow or whatever as that? Well, like so, sort of... so those are the, so those are the actual libraries that do the neural networks and, uh, like the training and the inference and all that stuff. And there's a whole, dude, this shit goes so deep. Like there's a whole ecosystem of tools that allow you to deploy that stuff onto like, you know, computer infrastructure. Right. So like all that stuff is written in Python and other lower level languages that hook into Python. Um, and also like interact with GPUs and tensor processor units and all sorts of crazy shit. Um, the, the race right now in terms of consumer tech is getting all that stuff integrated into applications that normal people can use. Um, and like actually find business models that are profitable where you can actually leverage this stuff, pay the AI bill, so to speak, and also charge money somehow to, to your end user. So all sorts of business automation stuff is, is currently being developed that uses all this stuff. Um, personal assistant type applications, uh, big data processing and analytics, you know, obviously there's the self-driving cars and all that stuff. But I mean, this stuff is just going to start making its way into um, you're, you know, like the suite of applications that you use every day. Like, okay, you wake up in the morning and, you know, you check the news and your email and do all your productivity stuff. Maybe look at Google maps, try to find a product to, you know, to, that you need to buy because you're fucking TV broke or whatever. Like all this stuff is going to be AI enabled and like integrating this kind of stuff into existing software is like that, like that is still hard. That's, that's really hard. Like you can't just say, Hey, open AI, um, you know, integrate a large language model into orbits.com so that, you know, our fellow, you know, our, our, our traveler customer, like is going to get a customized itinerary of exactly what to do when they land at their destination that, you know, like that sort of stuff is is still going to require some pretty heavy lifting on the development side. Though I, I figure that's going to happen pretty quick. Um, I imagine. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. It just like, seems like this, this stuff is just exploding. Like it's, it's just so fast. And it's, yeah. I mean, they're releasing new papers like on a weekly basis. Right. And this stuff is just constantly going to be integrated into, uh, into, into things. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there'll be like a bubble, you know, around this and then there'll be like a, a, popping of the bubble but fundamentally speaking like this seems like a pretty real technological push it's the first one i gotta say in a long time where i i, I feel like it's truly new like i'm like this is it's transformative for sure fucking weird it's weird man it's weird what people can do with it i just didn't imagine that it was possible the kinds of stuff that i'm seeing and, uh, yeah, you know, like any technology, like once you understand it, it's like less mystifying, but it's still so new. And I'm just watching this person tell a program to program. <laughs> it's just crazy to me. I don't know. It's just so weird. Um, 
I don't know. It's just bizarre, man. Uh, and but you know, it wasn't. This was this is sort of the culminating thing. But like before that, there there were these weird AI like uh, tools that people were playing with, like deep fakes. And there was yeah. like this. There were the YouTube channels where uh, they were just deep faking like Tom Cruise and uh, Keanu Reeves doing weird shit and. I had no, like the Keanu Reeves one. I actually thought it was Keanu Reeves's own weird YouTube channel for a while, and a lot of people did. <laughs> and I was like, "Wait, that's not <laughs> you know, that's crazy." Oh, you know, what? I was uh, speaking of which, I was playing around with this new website uh, or this new uh, product by this company called Eleven Labs, okay. E L E V E N Labs, mm-hmm. and I cloned my own voice, oh, and shit. now my okay. voice is available as an API call, so I can like call it and give it text and hear myself speak oh, wow. it. It's super wow. weird. It's only like five bucks a month. So if you want to try it, it's, I would recommend it. Dude, fuck. You know what? Well, you know, I just, we'll just, I'll, I'll sign up for that. I'll cancel Zencaster. I'll just tell, you know, someone in the discord is already just saying like, Hey, can you write out an escape from plan a podcast like script about this? And it just does it. And then, uh, yeah, it's plausible, it's a plausible have... script, and I'll just throw it into that until eleven, and then I'll just fucking release it. Yeah, and then yeah, we could we could script both our voices or everyone's voice. Oh, and then you want to try a... that sometime? Yeah, I'm down. We should do that. Oh, we do should like do that next minute. episode. We'll, we're going to automate it, and if it works out, fuck it, we'll just do that from now on. Well, what you know what we could do is we could just feed it the Discord log. Oh yeah, and then, <laughs> yeah, just and then it'll just synthesize log. both of us talking to each other over Discord. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i'll show you the it's super easy basically what you do is you sign up for an account it's like what so there is a free account but you can't clone your own voice um it just does text-to-speech which is pretty good and so that's free but for five dollars a month you can clone your voice i think they give you like 10 voices that you can store and what you do is you basically just record yourself you know reading for a minute or two and then upload that as a sample and it just takes your voice and like clones it. <laughs> That's so, fucking crazy. So crazy. Wow. Yeah. I saw this guy uh, on Twitter. It was TikTok or something, but you know, it's all the same now. Um, he had written a very, very small and efficient piece of code where I think it was his home server would go out, retrieve the mail and it would, it would, summarize it using chat G- the call to chat gpt and then he used i guess it was like something like 11 to and he trained it on the on uh what's her name scarlett johansson or johansson oh yeah yep she he trained it on her voice from that movie her you know that that one where she's like an ai yeah, yeah i saw this and so here's the thing i don't think he even wrote any code per se he was just using uh apple either apple script or whatever the ios equivalent of apple script is yeah, it was like not much. Like it, it was just sort of like a few things. It wasn't like a big project or anything. Yeah. So like, um, so that's yeah. That that was super interesting. Uh, so in order to do that, like in Python or whatever, it's actually very very easy because you're not doing any of the heavy lifting yourself, right? Like you're you're calling the Gmail, like IMAP API or whatever, just getting the headers, the subject lines, and then you're just feeding that into either open AI or 11 or something. It, it's like literally it 20 bodies too. I mean, I think, I mean, and I, this probably isn't much more work, but I think they were feeding the entire email into, 
uh, ChatGPT, which would spit out a sort of digest of it. Yeah, like, they, they have a they have a summarization. They have yeah. a summarization API. That's crazy. So you can like so like I, I wrote an application that takes uh, PDFs and it like chunks it up. So there, there's still some like stuff that you have to do on the back end, but like for an email, it's pretty basic. You basically just chunk it up into like four kilobyte chunks or whatever, and then just send it to the summarizer and it'll just summarize the entire thing for you in one shot. That's some crazy shit, man. It's crazy that you just like, it's just available to everyone to use now. That's yeah. it. That's like the really amazing thing about this technology is like that the sci-fi even like sci-fi that, you know, like it, this was always like top tier, top level, super computer, you know, multi-billion dollar thing that only the government had, which is funny because I, my, my, apparently, and I never really knew what my father did because it was all for, for the, you know, classified stuff. But he told me deep later, state. like, yeah, deep state, CIA, he was at the CIA and he was saying that they were basically doing that they were doing summer they were doing automated summarizing of um uh of like all digital print whatever you know sources out like they would like the cia has had a computer that would just go out and uh crawl read, the web yeah no it would just read all the newspapers around the world yeah you know like that and then summarize it and then figure yeah, out like, like which desk you know needed you know, it, sh it should route that to. Right. Like, is so there like, something relevant here and then route it to that desk? Summarize, yeah. flag, route, notify. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that kind of shit. And, yeah, yeah. and that yeah, was like a CIA thing that only they had. I'm not sure even if it worked very well, but apparently it does because they kept using it. But now, like anyone can fucking do that. So <laughs> the crazy. next uh, the next iteration of OpenAI's offering is this plugin platform, which is pretty interesting. Um, you know, this, like we haven't even seen how this stuff is going to integrate with Siri and Alexa and fucking Google, right? Like with the home assistant stuff. Um, like right, right now we're, I mean, like those, those platforms are basically about as useful as they were when they came out because yeah, they, they didn't really ever get much better. They just kind yeah. of were like sort of voice command line prompts a little bit you know they yeah they were like very structured and you had to know like you know the the it's it, they basically weren't much better than the voice command stuff that you find in like luxury cars right yeah it's exactly. pretty shitty yeah. yeah um or like telephone prompt like ivrs and the, pro the problem with those systems is you can't really freeform talk into it like you have to treat it like a command line you have to know what to say which is slightly more convenient than like digging through menus, but also it's not as convenient as just pushing a fucking button <laughs> on your dashboard or whatever, right? Yeah, and it, so it could only it could only pull like it only leverage functions that were already built into it, and and if it did, if they didn't build it, it couldn't do it. it like you couldn't tell yeah. it. You can control apps through it, like just freeform. Like it, yeah, well, you, you had but to you, already you, have that functionality built in. Yeah, and and you had to know the exactly the right words to say, or else it just fell over. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So even even just, you know, maybe maybe like Siri or whatever won't be able to do super dynamic shit, but even just improving the voice interface so that you don't have to know exactly what to say in order to have it get uh, do something, that would be a huge improvement already. 
That's so as, as far as I know, Apple doesn't really have a huge investment into LLM stuff. So they might actually, I think they would be one of the first to like just work with OpenAI to like integrate their stuff into their products because they don't have a huge existing investment to protect in that in that space. Dude, we're not as far, far as I know. Off. I could be wrong. I don't know. We're not far off from doing like synth humans and shit. I mean, maybe not like in the flesh, you know, like the robotics might not be there, but like I could imagine a thing where like you know, you had some sort of like video or 3D projection of like a famous person and they used the you know, AI to modulate the voice. And they use the chat GPT to allow you to talk directly with it. And it was, yeah. you know, it can mimic like people, right? So like it could, it could just sort of train itself on what that person said. Yeah. Did, did you hear about this thing where I forgot the name of the company, but they were, they marketed themselves as like AI companions and like people were starting to have the fucking AI characters do like sexually explicit stuff. I'm sure that's going to be... And they had to, like, they had to fucking kill it because it was just getting out of hand. And, like, people were super sad about it. Like, all their customers got upset because they had, had, like, AI girlfriends and boyfriends. (laughs) Dude, you know that's going to happen, right? Yeah, it's already happening. And the the thing is, they could easily, like... Like, that's crazy. Because there's... Remember there was a Dark Mirror episode where uh, there there was a company that after this woman her husband passed away like in a car accident that it they it was able to take all of his social media footprint like from his entire life and train itself on that and then she could text she they they he allowed her they they made a service where she could text him oh yeah you, could, no, you, you could do that today life. Yeah, exactly. And so I remember watching this just a few years ago going, that's crazy. Of all the Dark Mirror episodes, that one stood out most to me. Yeah, so the architecture, I'll just quickly run down how you would do that. So first of all, just get get, get a sample of their voice, upload it into Eleven Labs, and have their voice available as an API call. And then what you do is you can... You can do a uh, you, so you can take all the content they ever produced, um, including written voice and like stuff taken from video, audio and video. And then what you can do is you can store that locally into an embeddings database, and then um, you can actually design. You can you can uh, so so you you vectorize all that, put it into an, a local embeddings database, and then you can search against it on queries. So what you can do is you can like type, you know, you can type in a question or a comment and then the local database will take everything that they've ever said or done, produce a digest of it, and then send that as a prompt into OpenAI, and then have it respond to the prompt with, uh, w- and, and then render the output as either voice or video or whatever. So, so that's actually doable like right now today. Um, yeah, that's crazy. And then I'm so sure somebody well, is working on it, but that doesn't even sound that hard. No, it's <laughs> like, not. Given the tools you, well, it's so not because the, yeah, because you're not actually like the application designer is not actually doing any of the heavy lifting, right? Like the, the biggest challenge is getting the data because all the, all the models are out there to do this stuff. But in order to get all the data from either somebody a lot, you know, like 
like how like you know think about it like how would you get all the stuff that you've ever produced uh they could it, just it download be, all the podcasts yeah <laughs> right well you're, yeah you might my twitter, be a my twitter feed my, they could get my twitter account <laughs> you're yeah you're very online stack, you know all so. that stuff yeah. yeah, very. But, it'll be easier with very online people, but very. You know. But 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 they could. But I think in this one, what they did was they took the entire history of their texts. They they had his like Facebook account, right? I'm talking about the Dark Mirror episode, and then yeah. they also had the entirety of his phone with all the texts and emails and stuff. Yeah, and and, and so it, it was a plausible notion that um, your average human being who doesn't you know doesn't have this in mind that they're just like generating training output. Yeah, you know, even without that, that you know, just your phone is you're leaving a huge footprint. So yeah, so I mean, I guess this would be easier to do with people who are dead, but because because right now, like, think about it, right? Like, big tech has a has a bad reputation for mishandling or abusing data. So it's a pretty big ask to ask somebody to upload everything that they've ever produced into some website. And, and that's probably the only thing that's stopping anyone from launching a product like this today. Now, well, if it were some kind of local, like native application where you don't send everything you've produced into the cloud, maybe that is, maybe that's possible. But but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, there's no technical roadblocks right now to to get that to happen. And also, I mean, the story was written so that you know this this AI service. <laughs> was something new and you know they were like yeah we can do this for you know for your for people who died but if this is existing technology then i could imagine where people are like okay just install like microphones all over my house you know or whatever or just or just have my phone listen to me all the time right and just spend years just fucking training it you know, or maybe you don't even have to spend a year, spend a month or spend a week just yeah. have it listening to you talk at home. And, you know, it's <clears> able to tell what you're saying. It's able to tell what your family's saying to you. And I wonder, like, can it, based on that, how accurate of a reproduction of you could it create? Oh, pretty you accurate. Don't have, you don't even have to die. You just, after a week, you're just like, okay, turn my avatar on yeah. and then see if it can, like, Pass the Turing test with my family. Yeah. Like, well, it's, it's crazy. That reminds me. Um, that reminds me of you know Twitch. It started out as Justin TV. Justin Kahn, the yeah. CEO and founder of Twitch. Yeah. What he did was basically put. This was back in like 2004 or five or something like that. He put a fucking cell phone. He rigged up a cell phone camera to a server in a backpack and put it on his head and recorded himself. 24 seven walking around San Francisco, like living in San Francisco. And that eventually morphed into Twitch, which is basically just streaming, right? Like you could stream whatever the fuck you want on Twitch. So that's already, you know, that like, this isn't unprecedented. I think maybe somebody, maybe somebody actually does that. They just record themselves 24 seven for a year or a month. And then just like produces an avatar of themselves and, puts it on the internet. I'm sure I'm sure somebody's out there working on that right now. <laughs> That's so crazy because if like just imagine the possibilities that that creates. It's like insane, you know? Like let's say just 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 in the realm of let's say like celebrity. Like you could just start selling celebrity interactions with 
an avatar, you know, you could talk to a celebrity and it's basically right. like talking to them for real. And yeah. and it feels lifelike. Sure. You know, and and but you can talk to anyone who who you want and they're not actually talking to you. And <laughs> and maybe you're not even you don't even know this or you know what I mean? Like it's just because now now you're you're facing the possibility of not only not only interacting with artificial intelligence humans, but imposters where not only is it an artificial intelligence, but it is a, it, it is a, a reproduction of an existing human. Right. And so you could have like a, one human being could have literally like unlimited numbers of copies of themselves that are out there interacting with people in the world. And, yeah, well, people are know? concerned about the fraud implications of this stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Like if, yeah, if, if somebody can get a hold of your voice sample, they can potentially just call your bank and like pretend to be you or, or, or call your family member or whatever, pretend to be you, and then like take your money or whatever, you know? Yeah, and it wouldn't be hard to train, you know, to, to read through a bunch of scripts or whatever, to get this thing really specialized at a particular type of interaction, I would, I would guess. Right. And yeah, you so just you, have to find the source data. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is probably a bigger, um, a bigger risk for people who are public figures, right? Like if, if you have hours and hours and hours of your self, like on YouTube with your face and your voice and your real name, <laughs> this is going to be a problem. Dude, this is uh I don't know the scale of like change that this kind of thing can bring is going to be I don't know, it's kind of mind-blowing, man, just thinking about it because like I said, there were a lot of Black Mirror episodes. Was it Dark Mirror or Black Mirror? Black Mirror. Black Mirror. And that was the one that was the one that really stood out to me. And it was interesting because like at first the sorry just to describe the thing at first it was a text she could she was a she was able to text her husband and they said oh we've got a v2 out where you could talk to him we we actually can you know imprint his voice and they just start talking to him and then they had one where they're like oh we can create a video of him that she could like video conference with him and then ultimately they were able to like put him into like send over a a like robotic uh you know re- reconstruction of his physical oh, body which that 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 one's probably some time off like the robotics the physical robotics thing is like way in my opinion yeah. it's probably way way off yeah way but, off yeah like but i mean just to get to the point where you can have video you know like yeah, I mean, you convincing could, video of someone you could i mean dude that's super easy right because it's i mean that's just a zoom call <laughs> and not much happens on a zoom call you're basically just staring at the screen and your mouth moves <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so like you could you could probably do that now. Um, maybe not in real time. I don't think the video models, the generative video models, are there yet. But but maybe they are. I don't know. I haven't I haven't looked too much into that. But I mean, the voice and the language models and the uh, indexing of all the local content to send as prompts into LLMs. Like all that stuff exists right now, and it's pretty easy to integrate into each other. Maybe there's like uh maybe there is some need for like a Blade Runner type technology where we are able like we need some way to authenticate that who we're talking to is real. <laughs> you know, like 
Yeah, like a like a human off off protocol. Yeah, yes. Uh, I don't know, but just the just the possibility, just the, just like like the possibilities here are. I don't know. It's kind of it's it is sci-fi level, man. It's yeah. a little overwhelming. Yeah, it is. So I'll say that um, when I first started looking into this, maybe four or five months ago, I was basically starting from scratch, right? Um, I'm like, I'm pretty experienced in quote unquote tech in general, but it took me at least a month of just like scratching my fucking head to get my brain around how all this stuff works from. Was there a, was there like a, 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 an essential idea or was there a, a switch that got flipped where it, it started to make more sense to you? Like what this is really about or. Um, not really. I mean, I just read a lot of papers. A lot of this shit went over my head because I'm not a fucking PhD mathematician, but you know, like brushing back up on linear algebra, reading about the fundamentals of neural networks, um, really digging into like, you know, stuff like, um, so there's a, there's another company out there called hugging face, like the emoji. I don't know why they chose that name, but it's, that's their name. Um, and they have, if you go to huggingface.com, there's a repository. It, it's GitHub style where they just have like a huge repository of AI stuff. <clears throat> um, and I just like learned the basics of how PyTorch and TensorFlow and like all the ancillary libraries worked. And then I just started looking at the all the uh, service offerings that people have uh, that are accessible by API and just like... My first application that I wrote was basically just a uh, a thing to like classify text, and then the second one was something a little bit more involved. And then, you know, like I just kind of kept building on from there, and it got to the point. So, like, I'm just at the point where I know how to use all of the APIs to like do something useful, and it and you know that's that's like maybe two steps ahead of just typing shit into Chat GPT. Like the real people doing the cutting edge research are like at step 100 of, of where I'm at. And that's a really, really rare skill set. Like you don't just learn that stuff, right? So it's, um, you want to just get as close as as you can to to the actual math and like, you know, brush up on your linear algebra. And, you know, you're going to have to learn a lot of like Python to do string manipulation and like how to you know, process large amounts of data and like call APIs and just, you know, just do like basic backend stuff. And if, but none you know, of that's if, like and, PhD and, type shit. I mean, this is all like no, yeah, regular it's, ass it's, user it's, shit. Yeah, it'll, it yeah. should take you like for an experienced developer, it should take you less than three or four months to like get really up to speed on at least just leveraging this stuff programmatically to, to do what yeah, you want. That's the scary or the crazy, the mind blowing part of it is that this technology is the type of stuff that, I mean, and even Black Mirror like doesn't totally get this right, which is that you don't, it's not just going to be billion dollar comp or multi hundred billion dollar companies that are capable of doing this stuff. Like anybody's going to be able to do this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, don't you need, uh, you know, the, the whatever Google of AI to create a um, avatar of, you know, someone you know, or yourself, you could probably rig one up yourself. That's the end of part one of a two-part podcast. Part two of this pod will be on the Patreon feed. If you want to become a supporter, go to patreon.com slash planamag.